the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to a new edition of Vatican Insider, featuring, as usual, an overview of Vatican news of the past week, and then the interview segment with two of my guests that you met last week, seminarians Patrick Ernst and Nicholas Manon of the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend in Indiana. Both are in their second year of studies at the Pontifical North American College in Rome. We met last fall over dinner in my home with their ordinary, Bishop Kevin Rhodes. These remarkable young men talk of their call to the priesthood, how they heard the call, what they expect of priesthood, but most importantly, the very joy they feel at the mere idea of being a priest. They talk of some of the highlights of living in Rome, and, given that Lent has just begun, they highlight something very special to the Eternal City, the Lenten Station Churches. Do not miss that uplifting conversation this weekend. And now to the news headlines. Sunday, February 11. A big day at the Vatican with the top story being the canonization by Pope Francis, the first Argentinian Pope, of the first female saint of his native Argentina, the laywoman Maria Antonia de San José de Paz y Figueroa. This was also the first time in his papacy that a canonization ceremony was held inside St. Peter's Basilica. Argentina's newly elected president, Javier Millet, joined the 5,500 faithful in the basilica, seated just yards from Pope Francis. Francis, by the way, has not been back to Argentina since his election in March 2013. The new saint, known in Argentina as Mama Antula, lived in the 18th century. Francis, in off-the-cuff remarks, said, Mama Antula was a wayfarer of the spirit. She traveled thousands of kilometers on foot, crossing deserts and taking dangerous paths, always bringing God with her. Today she is a model of apostolic fervor and audacity for us. February 11th also marked the 95th anniversary of the signing of the Lateran Pacts between Italy and the Holy See, leading to the creation of Vatican City State. It is also the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes and the World Day of the Sick, and this was highlighted by Pope Francis at the Angelus. Last but not least, on February 11, 2013, Pope Benedict XVI stunned the world when he announced his resignation, a day that became effective on February 28, 2013. During the Sunday Angelus, marking the 32nd World Day of the Sick, Pope Francis invited the faithful to listen to and reach out to the suffering, reminding them that Jesus' style with those who suffer is few words and concrete actions. Monday, February 12th, the Holy Father had a private meeting with Argentina's President Millet. He also received President Samia Suluhu Hassan of Tanzania. Also Monday, at an audience with members of the Pontifical Academy for Life, Pope Francis reflected on humanity's search for meaning, and he said relationships with others, not technology, lie at the heart of our existence. What is needed is to situate scientific and technological knowledge within a broader horizon of meaning, and thus to avert the hegemony of a technocratic paradigm. The Academy brought together more than 20 academics from all over the world to discuss humanity's response 
to scientific and technological progress. Tuesday, February 13, the Vatican Dicastery for Culture and Education announced that Pope Francis will visit Venice on April 28th, stopping at the 60th International Art Exhibition of the celebrated Venice Biennale. The Holy See Pavilion at the Biennale's exhibit in the Judaica Women's Prison is dedicated to the theme of human rights and people living on the margins of society. The 2024 Biennale title is Foreigners Everywhere. It runs from April 20th to November 24th. Wednesday, February 14th, Ash Wednesday. At the weekly general audience, Pope Francis continued his catechesis cycle on virtues and vices, focusing on what he called asedia or laziness. Pointing to the dangers of this vice, the Holy Father said one of the remedies, suggested by masters of spirituality, seems to be the most important, the patience of faith. Then, in a moving encounter at the end of the audience catechesis, Francis laid aside his prepared remarks, and he offered a long, unscripted greeting to one of his visitors. After discussing the history of Christian martyrdom in ancient Rome, the Pope noted that today, too, there are many martyrs all across the world, and he offered a special greeting to Cardinal Ernest Simone, present at the audience, whom he described as a living martyr. In 1963, after Christmas Mass, the then Father Simone was arrested and imprisoned for 28 years, facing both solitary confinement and many years of hard labor. Pope Francis met Father Simone during his 2014 visit to Albania, and he was brought to tears when listening to him discussing his sufferings. After returning to Rome, the Pope decided to make the elderly priest a cardinal. The two had an emotional encounter on the stage of the Paul VI Hall on Wednesday. Also Wednesday, in his annual message to the people of Brazil for the Lenten Fraternity Campaign, Pope Francis invited Brazilians to take part in the 2024 campaign to raise awareness about people facing hunger, and this as the local church initiative marks its 60th anniversary. Also Wednesday, in a message to participants in the 47th session of the Governing Council of the International Fund for Agricultural Development, known as IFAD, Pope Francis warned of the dangers of food waste, highlighting that it damages the climate while it could feed the world's hungry. Also Ash Wednesday. The annual Ash Wednesday procession from Sant'Anselmo Basilica to Santa Sabina on Aventine Hill took place in late afternoon. At Mass at Santa Sabina, ashes were distributed and Pope Francis gave the homily. He said the beginning of Lent is an opportunity to go back to our authentic selves, removing all the masks and illusions that we too often wear. This is why, in a spirit of prayer and humility, we receive ashes on our head. The ashes remind us we are dust, but dust that is loved and preserved by God. Thursday, February 15th, Pope Francis addressed the French Diaconia of Beauty Association, inviting members to be cantors of harmony between peoples, cultures, and religions, and between humanity and the environment. The group was founded in 2012 to foster dialogue between the Church and artists of all kinds, including painters, sculptors, musicians, poets, and more. Also Thursday, February 15th, the Vatican released the theme chosen by Pope Francis for the Fourth World Day of Grandparents and the Elderly to be held on Sunday, July 28th. Loneliness is at the heart of the theme, which is 
Do not cast me off in my old age. Friday, February 16th. Pope Francis received the community of the Neapolitan seminary Alessio Ascalesi on its 90th anniversary. He did not read his prepared talk, but rather handed it over to his guests. In it, the Pope reflected on the ongoing nature of priestly formation needed to bring, quote, the beauty of the gospel to the people of our time, listening to the Holy Spirit and their demands. By the way, the Pope and ranking members of the Roman Curia start individual Lenten retreats on Sunday, February 18th. The Pope's weekly general audience on February 21st will therefore not take place in this period. Well, that's it for news, but now stay tuned for the Q&A and then my conversation with American seminarians in Rome, Patrick Ernst and Nicholas Monin of the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend. Welcome to the Q&A. This week, I explain one of the most common forms of papal documents, the motu proprio. A motu proprio is a rescript, an official edict or announcement, initiated and issued by the Pope of his own accord, and apart from the advice of others, for reasons that he himself deemed sufficient. It begins by stating the reason, making him decide to act, after which is stated the law or regulation made, or the favor granted, and it is signed personally by the Pope. The first recorded motu proprio was issued by Innocent VIII in 1484. With his two motu proprios of February 14 and 15, 2022, Pope Francis has issued a total of 49 of these papal documents since his election in March 2013. On March 14th, with Fidem Servare, Pope Francis modified the internal structure of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith by establishing two distinct sections, doctrinal and disciplinary, each of which will have its own secretary, thus greater authority and autonomy. On February 15th, with the motu proprio Assegnare Alcune Competenze, Pope Francis modified canon law for both the Latin Church and the Eastern Churches, changing the areas of competence for various bodies within the Universal Church by transferring certain responsibilities from the Vatican to local bishops. So now you know what a Pope does when he issues a motu proprio. This is Father Gerald Murray. Catholic truth conveyed through the radio reaches so many both Catholic and non-Catholic, and they receive encouragement, strength, guidance, and enlightenment. The Holy Spirit is working through these radio waves that go out to all the countries of the world. Catholic Radio, of course, is an effort to make Christ known. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio, now more than ever. From Rome to your home, EWTN's Vatican Bureau lets you watch all of the important events from Rome, even if you don't have a TV. Using the latest technology, we've made it possible to watch the latest news from the Holy See, all delivered directly to your home. Watch live on EWTN YouTube and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. EWTN is the Global Catholic Network. The power of prayer depends on God's action, not on our praying. The Holy Spirit prays within us with groanings too deep for words, as Romans 8 says. 
and He empowers us to seek God and to seek from Him all that we need. And the answer to prayers are always from God in order to worship Him. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome back to part two of my conversation with Patrick Ernst and Nicholas Mana, seminarians at the North American College from the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend, as they tell us the beautiful stories of their vocation to the priesthood. This week, they tell us of the highlights of their time in Rome, their expectations for the priesthood, and much more. Tell our listeners about the Station Churches, speaking of saints. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Sure. So the Station Churches is a tradition, it's a very old tradition in the church, but the at the North American College, the seminarians revived this in the, if I'm not mistaken, in the 70s, I mean, 60s or 70s, they yeah. revived it. And so every day during Lent, we celebrate church, we celebrate Mass at a different church in the city. And a group will walk every morning in the dark streets of Rome oh, yeah. to the different churches every day. And so we start on Ash Wednesday at Santa Sabina, the same church that the Holy Father celebrates his Ash yeah. Wednesday Mass. And the whole community will gather, and then every day during Lent, we will walk in the dark streets of Rome every morning to a different place, and we'll go as far out as St. Paul outside the walls, which is an hour's walk. Oh, at least. And, and so you get there You get there at sunrise, and, and it's just beautiful. Just the, It's a really beautiful way to enter into Lent and, and to see a lot of beautiful churches that you otherwise might not have the opportunity to. Well, Lent is prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, and maybe they should add something about uh, self-discipline <laughs> to get up at those hours of the morning to get down to some of the other churches. So do you remember some of your favorite churches from last year you're looking forward to going to again? I think uh, I I liked the most a church called San Pietro in Vincoli, St. Peter in oh, Chains. Oh, yes. That, that was simply one of my With favorite. With the Moses. Yeah, oh, yeah. That, yeah that, Sculpted that by Michelangelo. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That that was just one of my favorite, and as and as Nicholas was saying, just like the walk every morning, um, everyone most everyone prays the rosary along the way. Oh, lovely! Um, it could just be a very wonderful time uh, growing alongside your brothers in formation. I've just done a couple of the churches. I've never done the entire six weeks. I don't have that discipline, I guess. Each time I did it, it was so memorable because you also see ambassadors. You see teachers from schools. You see people who simply love this tradition, faithful Catholics. So it's it's a very, very meaningful. But other than something like that, what is very special about being around for you as seminarians, as future priests? I think what's really important for us is to see the universality of the church. So we see this in a number of ways. Of course, we're close to the Holy Father. I mean, our college is close to him. We sure. can go and go to the the Sunday audience, the Sunday Angelus, any any week, and to see him. Uh, we've been blessed in a number of opportunities to to meet him personally, which is really oh, a blessing. Right. Yeah. And so, the, just the universality of seeing the Holy Father. But then, even at, at our universities, we have students. We're not all Americans. In fact, my class is 150 students, and we come at the from, Gregorian at the Gregorian yeah. University, and we have students from Africa and Asia and all over Europe and all over South America. So we, when you when you talk with them, their their encounter of the church, their understanding of the faith, is is just so it's so different, but it's the same faith. But even how mass or any liturgy is, is celebrated in a different culture, just learning about that. Um, 
do they sing? How do they sing? Do Africans in so many of their colorful liturgies, you'll find dance and things that you would not find, you know, in, in an American church. So, and for you, Patrick, some of the important elements for you being in Rome and then your future as a priest, what would you bring to your parish having sure. been here? Yeah, I would simply... I, I, uh, echo that and say the universality ha- has helped me immensely. Um, seeing the church uh, outside of my diocese uh, for where, from which I'm studying um, has just been so rich. Um, and, and even part of the, the mission of the North American College is to help its seminarians grow uh, in love for the, for the Roman pontiff. And I was just like, man, to have that on our mission statement is incredible. Um, I, can, I mean, I also can see St. Peter's the, the dome of St. Peter's from my room, and I, and sometimes I just have to stop and think, wow, like, I'm really here. Uh, like, it's right across the street from my exactly. house, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah talk about views. <laughs> the room at the view. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and just meeting the Holy Father as well. It's like, yeah, it, it has really just helped widen my view of the church as well. I on occasion hear him mention uh, the North American College uh, staff and seminarians uh, at an Angelus on Sunday and sometimes... Um, have you been received in a Wednesday audience? Because there's usually one, one meeting like that, too. There, so. was, there was one last year with all the seminarians of Rome. Oh, that's right. Um, oh, all the different seminarians. Yeah, where he kind of gave a he kind of gave a um, exhortation to us to live in equilibrium and um, and just helped us. Uh, sure. And he was very pastoral. No, I, I remember he was telling some of some stories of his time in the parish in Argentina. And oh, sure. So sharing some of those stories that you you might not hear otherwise and. Um, yeah, no, really, it's when he speaks off the cuff with those personal stories yes, that you it, learn it more about it him. It's really beautiful to, to hear him share share that and sharing some of his um, encouragement, information. Oh, sure. For us and uh, exactly, yeah, it was beautiful. Understand yeah, him yeah. better today when he acts and you know certain things. Now, I'd love to know from each of you your expectations for the priesthood. So you've got a couple more years to go. However, you have to be as you're sitting here. You have expectations, Patrick. I have um, very, very good expectations um, for for the strength of the priesthood, and I can only say that living here in Rome, seeing um, other men who I go to school with, other men whom, whom I live with, of course, their uh, witness to virtue, how they live, how they pray, it's very edifying day in and day out. The, the priests who, who live with us as well, the Holy Father, and uh, all of that just contributes in some way. But I'm sure both of you have thought, and maybe even been shaken up by the idea of how many people in your life, your decades, God willing, as a priest, you will have an effect on. You will teach. You will preside at marriages. You will preside at funerals. You will have first communions. You will hear a confession. Does that ever, I don't know what word to use, overwhelm is too powerful, but does that ever kind of crawl through your mind? <laughs> you know, a little bit here and there. Um, I remember a priest uh, in a parish growing up saying, you never know what your words or actions might do or, or have an effect on someone. And that really just kind of kind of blew my mind. Um, but if, if someone ever kind of comes up to you and says, you know, when you said something, this really moved me in this way, just to have that disposition of humility to be like, okay, like that's, that's wow. incredible. Um, give the Lord the glory that is due in that, in that moment and keep on moving forward. Sure. And your expectations for priesthood? Yeah, I'm very hopeful. I think that would be the word I would say. Um, I think just in my life, I've seen the ways that the Lord is able to use my gifts to bring an encounter between him and somebody else. Um, so I look forward to the ways 
which I can't even imagine. They're just beyond my expe- my ability to sure. to imagine uh, the ways that the Lord will use my time here in Rome, my time before seminary, in seminary, and after seminary to bring His love to His people. Sure. And so, uh, yeah, Jesus's love knows no bounds. So, in any way that I could be a conduit for that, and that's really what formation is about—to be a conduit between God's love and, and to His people. And that, that gives me a lot of hope because the Lord loves these people so much. And, yeah, so I, I look forward to seeing the ways, those providential ways that the Lord continues to work um, through his priest. Oh, sure. And there's so many. I've gone home and thought for days about homilies because of maybe one sentence in a homily, you know. And I did thank the priest before I went home <laughs> about his about his words. But, um, you know, just a couple more things before our... Our time runs out, and I can't overlook the fact that today there are negative, there are problematic issues facing the church, and we have traditional media, we have social media uh, looking at sex abuse issues, divisions, what people are labeling as divisions between uh, progress, people they label as progressives and, um, and conservatives or sometimes traditionals. The division on papal pronouncements or documents, etc. Sometimes I look at some of the stuff that I see, especially on social media, it's like, oh my word, this is absolutely not the truth at all. What can I do? And sometimes I try to respond with gentleness and diplomacy to a, a, a statement which could mislead many people. But what do you think today with the media and the social media? What is it important for people, those of us in the pew, what is Im- important for us to know? And how do we know the truth? Patrick? Um, regarding social media, I, I I wouldn't know what to say precisely just because, because I'm not a part of that, that atmosphere and kind of the controversies that go on in that area. However, ha- having encountered some people and knowing what they say, and you can tell they're kind of enmeshed in this, in this um, sphere of, of friends that always kind of have that feeding into their, into their conversation and their atmosphere. As a hopeful priest, I pray, um, helping them to know at the end of the day that they are loved by Jesus Christ. I think that is one of the most important um, means for them amidst all of their anguish and anguish and, and, and whatever they may be thinking alongside their, their line of thought. I think there does exist some division in the church, and there's a lot of controversy about what people say in certain groups and factions. However, the priest, I think, is someone who is able to meet all of those people where they are. For us to learn that, I think, is very important because we are, um, in some sense, mediators between them and Jesus. And so learning how to to be that man to all of these people is kind of a daunting task. I kind of swallow when I hear that and learning how to do that. But it's what I'm called to do, and I pray that the Lord will give me the grace. To answer their uh, questions, to to bring them to the truth. Exactly. And that's, that I know is my my whole goal. And how would you handle those situations where, um, well, especially you feel that you're talking to someone who you feel, or they have just told you, that basically what they're saying about the church they've learned online, or in a newspaper article, instead of what Father said at Mass in his homily, or, or whatever. So how do you, you know, what do you say to people who come to you with this, this kind of a doubt? Or? I think my first reaction, I think, is to be happy that they came and asked the priest a question. Oh, sure. So, I mean, similar to what you were saying, I, the priest really is the first responder. And he's like, the, yeah, like he's, he's, in, the, he's in, the, in the battle with the people. Like, the, he's, like, if there's an issue, the priest is, the parish priest is there. And so when the people have a question, 
the priest rejoices when someone comes and asks that question, as opposed to staying in a place of, of doubt or, or darkness or isolation, which can really often be the case in social media. Of course. For us connected as we are by different webs of, of, of the internet and media and, and everything else, but for, for all that we're connected, we often feel isolated. So to reach out in any way to the priest and ask, yeah. for, ask for his help, I, that, that's a work of the Holy Spirit, I think. And Absolutely. so, like, I love, like, if someone were to come to me with a question about, about the faith, I, I'm, I'm overjoyed to hear that, that they cared enough to ask the question. And, and of course, the response is going to be dependent on what they're asking. But yeah. first of all, I would thank them for coming, really. Like, that's the first thing I was think you would do. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Okay, now, just the final question of our conversation, and that is, if there's a young man listening to this conversation who in the back of his mind had some little seed planted and maybe is thinking of a vocation, if you were sitting right next to him, what would you say? I would say uh, the same thing that my home pastor told me growing up, prayer in the sacraments. (laughs) Without that, you can't miss God's will. Wonderful. Very simply. Can't be any easier. And Nicholas? Yeah, I would say that God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. That's a kind of a kind of a trite saying, but, no. but it's really true because when, I remember when I was getting ready to go to seminary, I thought I had to be fully formed as a man and as a priest before I entered the seminary, which is just impossible. Uh, I thought I had to have my whole life figured out before I said yes, but no, it's actually the Lord forms you in order to say yes, and that's what happens in formation. So you don't have to enter seminary knowing exactly what your life's going to be or whether you're going to be a priest. The first discernment really is, am I called to be a seminarian? I think is really the first yeah. step of discernment. Um, do I think that the Lord is calling me to seminary? I think is, a, is an easier first step as opposed to is the Lord calling me sure. to be a priest. Um, so that's what I would recommend. Well, I, for years, have prayed daily for vocations and for seminarians and for priests. My dad was very active in the Sarah Club. So um, I attended a lot of father-daughter luncheons and dinners and... Um, my dad said I actually, he said, did a lot for the church because it turned out, he actually said this at a Sarah Club dinner, uh, although I knew he was going to and said he could. He said, actually, you've done a lot to promote vocations. He said, two young men that Joan dated in college entered the priesthood. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know. So, of course, questions follow that. But in, in any event, I want to thank the person not here tonight, and that is, of course, Bishop Rhodes for sending the two of you to Rome. What a wonderful dinner we had, and what a wonderful conversation we just had. I know so many people are going to find joy and hope, the two words you used tonight. They're going to find joy and hope in our conversation. So God bless you both, and thank you for coming. And now I think we should go and enjoy dinner. Thank you very much, Nicholas. Thank you. Thank you. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.